So Money Episode 666, the best of 2017, how to retire rich. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. It is the moment you've all been waiting for. Well, maybe not, but hopefully this gets you excited. Guys, I'm launching a money course in partnership with the very smart people at Investopedia.com. I'm launching a major soup to nuts money course that's targeted at young professionals who want to make the most of their money. So do you want to squash those student loans, catch up on savings, earn more money, maybe buy a house or just negotiate a better lease on your rental? My nine module money course arrives early January to be the first to register for the course and receive a special So Money discount. Go to SoMoneyCourse.com or if you don't want to leave your cell phone right now, just text me. Text So Money Course, that's one word, to 44222. That's So Money Course, one word, to 44222. Hope to see you. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And I'm not talking about the holidays. We have officially reached that time of year where I highlight some of the best interviews that we've had all year. It's it's a hard challenge, I will say. It's not easy identifying just a few out of the hundreds of interviews of the year, but uh, we have a really awesome lineup for you. This episode which is 666, although it sounds very ominous, uh, I assure you, is an episode that you don't want to skip. We're going to look back at some of the best advice we have gotten on retirement and how to retire well, how to retire with enough, how to retire, if I may say, rich, and sometimes how to retire early. You know, many of you want to know how to get out of the grind sooner than later, and I don't blame you. And we have been fortunate to have some early retirees stop by the podcast to share their insights, starting with Christy Shen, episode 528. Christy, if you recall, claims to be Canada's youngest retiree at 31 years old. She and her husband have saved over a million dollars, and now they are traveling around the world. How were they able to do it? What was their strategy? And is a million dollars really enough to quit your day job? This excerpt has those answers and more. Yes. So um, in 2012, once we decided we weren't going to go down the path of buying a house, we are going to invest instead. Um, at that point, we continued saving and we continued investing. And so part of the investment gains and the savings propelled us to um, the million dollar portfolio by the end of 2014, at which point I was 31. But surely you have to be making more money, right? Because a million dollars sounds like a lot on paper and it is, but for the next 50 years that you're going to be alive, <laughs> I don't know if that 4% rule is going to hold up. So that's one of the things that we, um, yeah, that's a lot of people have been questioning about the 4%. So some people have been able to drop their savings, drop their spending to 3%, which gives you a 100% success rate. What we did was actually we created um, a backup plan. So plan A, B, C. Uh, so plan A is that we structured our portfolio so that it is a 60-40 split, 60 equities, 40 fixed income. So that portfolio actually gives us a dividend income of approximately 3.4, 3.5%. So if, because we're able to live under 
under that um, dividend income, we don't ever have to withdraw from the portfolio at all during downtimes. Uh, that allows us to have a 100% success rate. That's plan A. Plan B, we also keep a uh, cash cushion outside the portfolio covering three to five years of living expenses so that if there is a down market and we can actually live off that income as well. And then plan C is because we, once we started traveling, I realized that traveling is so much cheaper than people actually realize. Like we were able to travel the world on 40,000 Canadian dollars a year. So as a result, um, we are actually able to move to cheaper places that is not crazy expensive Toronto. So location independence counts a lot as well. That's our plan C is just to move somewhere less expensive and be able to have like a safe withdrawal rate of even 2%. So this is very much not just a financial shift, but it's a lifestyle shift for those listening and thinking, oh, I want to do this. What are some of the things that you have to be aware of once you quote unquote retire? Like what are the things that you find are necessary to have in place and also to be comfortable with from a lifestyle perspective? Like what do you have to give up? I think flexibility is a big part of it. I don't think it's so much giving up. It's more like being flexible and then also prioritizing the things that matter and then not caring about the things that don't matter. So what I mean by that is like after we retired, um, not being fixed to the fact that like I have to live in Toronto or I have to live in San Francisco or somewhere really expensive. Like I'm okay because we're no longer tied to a job. We don't have to stay in expensive cities, we can move to a less expensive place. And the fact that we travel the world and it's actually less expensive than being in Toronto, I find that a much better option. Um, I also found that uh, it actually, people don't realize how much money they're paying to work. Like it's ridiculous, like how much money you're paying on commuting to work every day, how much money you have to pay for buying like professional clothing and dry cleaning. And um, for people who have kids, how much money they have to pay for uh, daycare and childcare. So one of the things that people don't realize until after they retire is that their costs go down because all those costs that are associated with working completely disappear. Sometimes we need to reach beyond our borders for the best financial advice. Thanks to Christy Shen for sharing her story. And for more on Christy and her retirement revolution, check out millennial-revolution.com. Jumping to our next guest, you know, he hasn't retired yet, but he could walk away tomorrow if he wanted to, he says. He started the popular blog Millennial Money after a wake-up call in his 20s where He went to Chipotle and realized he didn't have enough money to even buy a burrito. Grant Sabatier joined us on episode 618 this year. If you're a millennial and you have aspirations to retire early or just want advice on how to save for the golden years, here's Grant's simple advice for us. Millennials and money is a big category for good reason. What is your counterintuitive advice that you feel is not being projected, that you want to get this message out, uh, that you feel that millennials need to hear when it comes to managing their money wisely? Yeah. I mean, I think this is kind of money advice and life advice. Uh, you know, a lot of people, there's kind of that Gary Vanderchuk narrative that's so pervasive now of just hustle, 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 hustle. Um, and I'm all for the hustle. I was a huge component of it, but I think we live in an incredibly, uh, sort of burnout culture. And I think that, uh, I, I sort of say that sort of busyness is an epidemic. You know, we all spend so much time just running around trying to do the next thing 
thing. And, you know, that's one way to get the most out of life. But, you know, I, I like to tell people that, you know, I always try to chill as hard as I hustle. You know, life's really kind of a counterbalance. It's a yin and yang. You know, there's kind of two sides to the coin. And if you're always pushing on all cylinders, you know, not only are you going to burn out, but, you know, you might get sick or, you know, you, you know, you might just forget to stop and smell the roses occasionally. And I think that just chilling as hard as you hustle is um, a something that I'm trying to live by more, but I think it, it factors into investing as well. I think that, you know, you can't let kind of the best be the enemy of the good. And a lot of people, when it comes to money, they're so afraid of making the wrong decision that they either don't do anything, uh, or they get really emotional and do something stupid. So, you know, having confidence that, you know, you, you, you know, you've put sort of simple money habits in place that, you know, you're saving before you spend, that, you know, you're prioritizing and finding a balance between spending and saving is, is really important. And then kind of letting it go and not beating your, you know, beating yourself up about it. Cause, you know, money itself, chasing it as well as managing it, uh, can, can become somewhat of an addiction. And, you know, I think we live in a very obsessive culture. We're told to do things faster, faster, faster. And, you know, if you're doing things right with money, time will take care of the rest. And it's really about building those foundational principles and then just saving, you know, as much as you can and having confidence in your strategy. And I think a lot of people, and this is kind of the irony about my story, uh, you know, I, I, you know, there's a lot of luck in what I did. Sure. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I benefited from, you know, a growth market. I was able to make a lot of money pretty quickly. Um, but that's kind of the exception to the rule. And what I always try to share is that, you know, you don't have to make a million dollars in five years. Uh, the key is to find the balance uh, that works for you. And just, you know, as I always say, kind of every 1% that you can increase your savings rate, you can retire up to two years early. So if you increase your savings rate 1% once a quarter or twice a year, you know, you're, you are already fast tracking your, your uh, retirement. And so, you know, take it at a pace that makes sense for you. You know, you don't have to always go 200 miles per hour. So that, that would be kind of my investing in my life advice right there. That's your Finding the balance is more than half the battle, Grant says. Wise words. And so popular is Grant's perspective on money that he has a big money book coming out later this year. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, you can learn more about Grant and follow his advice at millennialmoney.com. Now, is there a way for you to save 50% of your paycheck? Hmm, that's what my guest Chris Reining did, and he was on a recent episode, 661. It helped him arrive at 35 years old with a million dollars in the bank. Now, here's a snippet where he talks about how he got to that $1 million marker. So walk me through the acceleration plan that you created for yourself to reach a million by 35, 36. Well, and this really is a million in your brokerage account. This isn't like equity in a home. This is like liquid money. Right. Like I never, I never counted that stuff. Like I, a lot of people like count, yes, like their, their car sitting in the driveway and their bicycle and how much their cat's <laughs> worth and all this stuff. Like, like all that stuff, like I never really counted as part of my whatever net worth, right? Like it was just like money in the bank was, was like what I was focused on. So, um, to answer your question, I think it really, the acceleration really comes down to, Two things, right? It comes down to saving more and earning more, right? So if you pull on those two levers, like you open up this huge uh, potential pot of money that then you can use to invest, right? So the saving piece, I mean, 
that was, we covered that a little bit, but I think the, the biggest point there was like, I had no idea where my money was going. So the, the very first step I took was tracking where my money went. And I used, uh, I use a Google spreadsheet for this, but you know, there's online tools like mint.com or whatever that can do this stuff for you automatically. But I liked doing it manually because it made it much more, more tangible, right? Like it's much more real when I'm sitting there typing numbers into a spreadsheet because I don't know these days with all these electronic transfers and you know, you can swipe your card or swipe your wrist and you're spending money. Like you sort of lose that relationship that you're actually spending real money. And so I think this process of like figuring out where my money was going was really eye opening because I could finally calculate that, you know, spending about 90% of my take home pay and once you start seeing like how much you're spending, it becomes much easier to start cutting out things that, uh, that don't make you happy. So for me, over the course of about five years, my savings rate slowly increased year over year from about 10% to, to over 50%. And the other thing I want to point out was that, you know, saving isn't about depriving yourself right so like people think like oh if i save money then you know i'm i have to be eating rice and beans every day for the rest of my life like no like you can spend money um on the things that make you the happiest and so like i personally like i i love to travel so like i don't mind spending lavishly on travel but on the flip side of that like i'll cut out things that i really don't care about well they say that you know, saving up to 10% is, is ideal for the average person. But that's if, that's if you want to retire like never <laughs> or like by, you know, in your sixties and your seventies. And, and, and one of the things I think is important to highlight is where you were or are living, because I think it's much more difficult to save 50% of your salary when you're living in, say, a coastal state city like San Francisco or New York City. Uh, where were you at the time? Are you still in the Midwest when you're doing this? Yeah. Yes, I'm still in, in Madison, Wisconsin. I've been here for 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. Where were you saving the most? Like, where were you? Because real, let's be honest. Housing costs a lot of money. Um, taxes cost a lot of money. So, if you can uh, sort of manage those two costs, uh, keep them to a minimum. Um, you're already halfway there. I think that's a big, big chunk of everyone's budget. Right. So I, here's, here's sort of my, my, my philosophy on that is like when I started slashing my spending, you know, I started out with the small stuff and this is, uh, the latte factor that, that David Bach, um, has talked about on your podcast. So like every morning I used to stop for uh, a red eye, which is a coffee with a shot of espresso. It's delicious. If you haven't had one, you should have one. And you know, it didn't cost much. It was like five bucks. Right. And that's where some, you know, personal finance people will say, you know, you shouldn't worry about spending $5 on a coffee. You should be going after, you know, the big wins like housing and cars and all that sort of stuff. But I, I don't necessarily agree with that approach. And, and I'll tell you why it's because making like a small manageable change improves your ability to change the big things. So, I mean, you can think about like a marathon. You don't just go run 26 miles. If you've never run before, you slowly build up to it over a long period of time. And it's no different if you're trying to work on saving more money. You start out with something small, like saving $5 on coffee. And once you're successful with that, 
then it becomes easier to save $50 by, I don't know, cutting something out like cable or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then you cut out the next big thing and the next big thing. And that's where I see people like run into trouble is thinking they'll go after the big wins right away, like downsizing their house and selling their car and, you know, never going out to eat ever again. But that's like way too overwhelming. Chris's approach isn't exactly how I would get to a million. Personally, love my coffee. I These days I take a, an Americano with steamed almond milk. My mother was visiting and she was ordering this. And I thought, how high maintenance of you, mom, <laughs> to be ordering, you know, an Americano with steamed almond milk. But you know what? It's delicious. And it's become my go-to recipe, my go-to order at any coffee shop. I would rather give up wine if I have to choose, then give up my morning cup of joe. That's just me. So now we've spent a decent amount of time here reviewing some episodes where the advice is all about accelerating retirement. But what if you're just stressed about having enough? You're worried that you haven't saved enough and you, you want to get to 65, 70 years old with, with at least something to show for it, you know, some money in the bank so that you don't have to work like a hamster on a wheel. Emily Guy Birkin joined us on episode 570. She is a financial expert and the author of End Financial Stress Now. And I just love what she has to say about just being good to yourself. This is a short clip, but it's a goodie. Here we go. Can you give us some advice on, let's say we're in our 30s, 40s, and we haven't really done a whole lot uh, to save for retirement. What can we do besides just funneling more money to a 401k? I mean, that's obviously part of it. Um, you know, the the main thing to do is, um, you know, well, I'd say the first thing to do is forgive yourself because we have this tendency um, to really shame people for not starting earlier. Um, and I understand why that happens. Like you, you'll never hear me say that you shouldn't be saving money or that you shouldn't start as early as possible. Um, but because we, we beat the drum about, you know, start saving as soon as possible, you know, and uh, if you can go back in time and save more. I mean, we, we, we so emphasize that that people end up um, feeling like, well, it's too late now. I might as well not even start. Um, and then they get kind of paralyzed by it. So the first thing is to just forgive yourself, you know, like it's okay. I'm starting now. Um, you know, the past is past. Uh, it, it, it just is what it is. Deal with the situation as it is now, not as it might have been. So that's that's like the the first thing. Now again, like you don't forgive yourself to the point where like, and I don't need to start now either. No, it's more about like get to the mindset you need to be to be able to uh, actually put the money aside. So. Um, you know, and for a lot of people that, that mindset is uh, just the stumbling block of how many steps it takes to, you know, start putting money aside in your 401k. I mean, there are a lot of people who don't necessarily, um, put money aside just because, you know, they have to go down to HR and they need to get the forms and they need to do this and that and the other. So, you know, recognizing this is going to be a multi-step process and, you know, breaking it down into like, okay, on Monday, I'm going to go to HR by Tuesday, I'm going to do this by Wednesday, I'm going to do that, um, is, is also really important. And, uh, you know, making sure that you break down the steps and then automate as much as you possibly can. So you don't have to think about it is going to make this easier. And I'm all about making money decisions as easy as possible for yourself. 
All right. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in to this year's year-end wrap on all things retirement. Thank you to my lovely guests, Christy Shen, Grant Sabatier, Chris Reining, and Emily Guy Birkin. If you're looking ahead to the new year and one of your goals is to make more money, you're in the right place. Join us back here on Wednesday. We're going to be reviewing some of the top advice that guests have shared on earning your worth and not being shy or insecure or timid to ask for it and get it. Remember, check out somoneycourse.com to get on the VIP waitlist for my forthcoming money course. I'll be sure to hook you up with a discount once it launches in early January. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone, and I hope your day is so money. Money.